Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's 1999. Podcast like it. You Hello and welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1999 from our Trout Factory here <laughs> in 2018. I'm one of your I'm hosts. I'm not even sure they were trout. They were some sort of weird fucking... It was... Barry, do you want to go ahead and... Let- it, was, uh, it, was, it was Lake Trout in that sense of from being on the wire that it was neither from a lake nor trout. So. Yes, it was It was like trout, but um, it was a trout factory or a trout farm uh, in the movie Existence, which is what we'll be covering today. I'm Kenny Nybart. I'm Phil Iscove. And with us today is the film editor from Canada's National Newspaper, The Globe and Mail out of Toronto, Barry Hertz. Um, he is also our first... Out of studio guest, so that's that might be why he sounds a little Distant. foreign. <laughs> not, <laughs> Jesus Christ! Not 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 because of um, you his, know, his you Canadian, got the joke. No, yeah, okay. No, and uh, Barry, thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me long distance. <laughs> um, Barry was kind enough to write a feature on this podcast about he was two three months ago, um, which. Had a little run on Reddit. Yeah. What a thrill for us. Yeah. I mean, the, the people on Reddit really dug it. Uh, it was really, really great talking to you then for that feature. And uh, we had discussed coming or having you come on to talk about one of Canada's finest filmmakers and one of Canada's finest movies or so I had heard. I mean, okay. Uh, <laughs> sure. But before we do that, Barry, um, where were you in 1999? In 1999, I was uh, in my final stretch of high school, and I was actually 
working when I wasn't in high school, I was working at a local Cineplex movie theater in the suburbs of Toronto. Oh, cool. We have, we actually weirdly have a lot of guests who are, who <laughs> Isn't are that weird. Well, not, no, it's not because you're from Toronto, <laughs> but we, we do have, what I was going to say is we have a lot of guests who worked on the outskirts of the film industry mm-hmm. in 1999. A lot of people who worked in cinema like you, a lot of people who worked in, in, Video rental stores. Yeah. A lot of people who rented movies at Phil's rental store and didn't know he worked there. You know, it's it's it, to 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 sort of piggyback on that. It is it is interesting too because it is kind of a relic of a time gone by too. In the sense that you had people working at video stores, which doesn't really exist anymore. There were a lot of people on the periphery wanting to get into the industry and showing a passion for the industry and sort of coming at it from different vantage points i think now obviously you make youtube with, videos you make youtube you know what i mean like now yeah. the 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 way in i guess seems like a straighter line than it did back then but it is interesting nonetheless it's a straighter line i think it's significantly less romantic absolutely um but that, you don't find youtube romantic any? no i don't <laughs> i guess that's the uh, i guess that's that's the bend of time the, the cruel arc of time indeed, indeed. so in 99 you were uh, you were working at a cinema in uh, in toronto you're finishing up high school um, you obviously had a passion for film. Did you have other films in 1999 that you that you loved, or or late 90s? What were kind of the the important films for you as a as a young man? I think it was the kind of typical young white suburban man uh, movies from that era. You know, a lot of Tarantino, yeah, um, a lot of Oliver Stone, um, and you know, a lot of uh, a lot of Cronenberg as well. And I, I mean, 1999, I do remember. Even back then, I could kind of recognize it. It was either because I was maybe maturing as a moviegoer and finding out that uh, my tastes were being reflected on the screen a lot more, or you know, just kind of stepping away from a lot of the typical kind of high school you know comedies that I was used to. And I guess it was just because it, you know, in hindsight, turned out to be a really amazing year for releases. So I mean, I remember, you know dragging a bunch of my friends down in my parents' minivan. I was one of the few people who maybe had a license at that point and, and driving down to one of the art houses in Midtown to see being John Malkovich because that was the only place it was playing and just getting really excited about that in 99. Um, and there were a couple things like that. And it also helped that I worked for a movie theater and I was afforded a lot of uh, free passes mm-hmm. and the kind of ability to, you know, maybe let, a friend or two or three or four slip by the admission gate uh, when nobody was looking. <laughs> the best kind of friend to have. That's amazing. Um, yeah, I think uh, I, th- I think what we've come to realize over the course of doing this podcast is, you know, there are kind of the shiny pictures that we expected, the being John Malkovich's and the Magnolias and Matrix, Fight Club, Six Sense, the kind of things that, that were pretty obvious – um, there were also some really fun studio pictures yeah. that we've done so far. And then there are movies like Existence, um, which, you know, you guys are probably more familiar with. More, well, certainly more familiar with. Um, definitely more apt to talk about its role in 1999. It's, it's kind of place in film history. but Also, its I, place in Cronenberg's filmography, I would think, is. I mean, yeah. I, I, and I don't mean to cut you off, but I. I and I don't know about you, Barry. I obviously can only speak for myself, but I remember when this film was coming out. And obviously, you know, it's a Canadian film, it's a Cronenberg film, so it's going to get a lot more publicity in Canada than it obviously did down here. 
But I remember with this cast and with this concept thinking to myself, oh, this is going to be a big movie. Like this is, this is going to be like, this is Cronenberg's attempt at a populist movie. <laughs> Which, yeah, I mean, just saying that out loud, it sounds so odd having <laughs> rewatched it to think of this as populist. But it's true. I mean, he had, I mean, you know, Jude Law wasn't the Jude yeah. Law he is today or would be, you know, five years down the road from existence, but he was still somebody. Mm-hmm. And Jennifer Jason Lee was still somebody and Willem Dafoe, very large name people. And this was a large scale production by. Cronenberg standards, certainly by Canadian standards. So it, it was something special. Yeah. I mean, I think that uh, to your point, Barry, this had a lot of like big Canadian people in it, you know, the Don McKellar's, the, the sure. Callum Keith Rennie's, the what have you, uh, which meant something in Canada, which mm-hmm. obviously did not transcend down here. Um, you know, Jude Law has Tantum Mr. Ripley coming out later this year. So, I mean, which, which is sort of, that's kind of the movie that puts him on the map. It's coming up right? already. Yeah. So, you know, he has Gattaca, which he's great in. Which he's, I mean, I love Gattaca. He's a supporting role. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it, it, I mean, that was the first time I took notice of Jula, mm-hmm. is I guess what I'm getting at. Um, so you had all of that, and then you had you had Cronenberg throwing his hat into the ring of the whole video game virtual reality world, which we all should have known was not going to be uh just it was not going to be particularly accessible but it felt like his attempt at, at making something accessible yeah yeah Let's, i mean if this was going to be his johnny mnemonic or i don't know what <laughs> no, I, was gonna, I was about to bring up johnny mnemonic actually johnny mnemonic virtuosity there, sure there yeah, were sure. some uh i mean lawnmower man there were some really yeah. uh yeah. with all due respect shitty <laughs> attempts at doing something like this in the mid nineties. Now I would Absolutely. also say the, the, to me, the, the closest movie to this was total recall. Oh, that's um, interesting. And total recall is not the same idea. Right. Uh, in terms of a video game ver- versus, I don't really know what total recall was implanting right. memories or something like that, but the whole what's real, what's not real um, element of it. And even, you know, straight to the end of it. And I actually like, look, I, I, that's a really good point, actually. My my biggest issue with this movie is how derivative I found it of Total Recall. I don't think it did anything. Interesting. I, I, obviously, it did things stylistically that were extremely different that I had never seen in a movie. Sure. But thematically mm-hmm. and intellectually, mm-hmm. um, it felt very similar to Total Recall. Um, well, I mean, I, I'm my biggest – and I hear where you're coming from, and, and bringing up Total Recall is actually a, a really, really good point uh, because I do think that I actually think Verhoeven and Cronenberg have more similarities than than I probably thought of before. I don't know about you, Barry. Yeah, no, that that makes a lot of sense, but, especially in terms of the body horror stuff. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I, there's a there's a quote that Cronenberg. I mean, first of all, Cronenberg is not <laughs> afraid of talking to the press, so there's a lot of Cronenberg stuff. So <laughs> I kind of had to par it down to the stuff that feels the most. Interesting, uh, if you will, but he says technology wants to be in our bodies because it sort of came out of our bodies in a crude way. That's what I'm thinking. It wants to come home. It ha- that this is its home. First of all, in the obvious ways, the eyes with the eyes with binoculars, the ears with the telephone. Technology had to be an ad- had to be an advancement of powers we knew we had. Then it gets more elaborate and more distant from us, more abstract. But it still all emanates from us. It's us. I think that. Sp- 
Speaking to that point, okay. right, do you guys know that um, the first Alexander Graham Bell's first uh, attempt at creating a telephone was done with an actual human ear? Amazing. Yeah, Cronenberg would love that. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was an actual actual human ear was what was taking in the sound, which I learned, and I'm not kidding, from a Dr. Seuss book. Amazing about inventors that I read to my children. Which is so ghastly. I don't even know how to explain it to. But to I the love. Kids. But I love that. But isn't it's, that, I mean, isn't it's that so wild? one to one. But I love it. Yeah, but it really. Uh, it it kind of. It, it's kind of proof in the world of Cronenberg. Well, because I think that Cronenberg. I mean, body horror is obviously a very big part of of his of his filmography. I would say that the the idea uh, of body as technology is sort of a thing that he's been playing with for a very long time. Uh, I don't think it's a coincidence that this is Cronenberg's first original screenplay since Videodrome. Um, you know, I think there's a, there's definitely a corollary between those two movies. Yeah. I mean, I, I view this as a, a spiritual sequel to yeah. Videodrome. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, a direct line you can draw between the two. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that it's just a, it's, it's a, I mean, I hear where you're coming from, uh, Kenny. I really do. And I, I think that this movie isn't so much, saying anything new necessarily about the world of virtual reality and video games necessarily. I think that what it's bringing to it is a lot more sort of existential qualities. I think it's, it's bringing a lot more biological qualities to it. I mean, I, I, this movie at times made me deeply uncomfortable, which is sort of (laughs) what, what, what Cronenberg thrives on. I mean, once Jude Law sticks his tongue in her bioport, I'm just like, you know, all right, I guess we're doing this. Like he's just, he doesn't, even just the, the, the game pods themselves are so like, I don't even really know what the best word to explain it is, but they're, they're very organic. They're they're but they're also sort of like, they're obviously very gross. They look like this, like vibrating kind of skin kidney situation. With like three nipples. With three (laughs) Well, it's interesting because at the, at the at the beginning of the movie, you know, we're, it seems like it's going to be. If you're not familiar with what Cronenberg has delivered in the past, yeah, you know, we're talking about okay, these people are here to test a video game. It's probably going to look weird, the like technology, but like kind of fake and like on that yeah, Johnny Mnemonic virtuosity kind of scale of of dials and buttons. And then he brings out this blob. Yeah. <laughs> That with, is with umbilical cords, which yeah, like kind of, kind of most critically, like everybody's just like this is what it is. You know, yeah, nobody which is in, the way to do it. The, of course, but nobody in the context of the movie is is grossed out by it. Like nope. this is this is this is how we have evolved, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, sure. Well, in Cronenberg, within the context within the context version. of that movie, yeah. so yeah, I I mean, I I, I can envision, I, I can buy any version. Mm-hmm. Of technological history, yeah, yeah I get that. Uh, you know, so many crazy things have actually happened that that's not that crazy. It is fucking revolting. <laughs> <laughs> Here's what I will say, though. You know, there's a lot of things about the movie that kind of this time round that really jumped out at me. Um, one of them is just this Lynchian quality. I, I do feel as though there's a definite. Connection, no sort doubt. of, between Lynch and Cronenberg, particularly in the uh, the dialogue yes. and the line readings. Yes, and also in the um, the hard cuts, mm-hmm. in terms of not knowing where you are, mm-hmm. in, in terms of 
reality or or lack thereof. There's this sort of very sort of dreamlike quality that uh, that I think is fascinating and also unsettling. I think that he wants you to feel unsure as to where you are at all times in a similar way to David Lynch. Um, I, I think there's also just a, a, a impending feeling of doom that hangs over the entire film as well that Lynch is pretty much known for as well. Um, yeah. And then, but that you also take, I think, you know, ultimately the protagonist of this movie, at least the most of this movie is Jude Law's character, and he's very much a Lynchian yeah. hero. You know, clean cut, well dressed, well groomed, kind of weak. Yeah. Um, kind of at the mercy of the people around him. Um, a little wide eyed. Yeah. Um, We're also unsure of his job, unsure. which is another thing yeah. that is very sort of Lynchian. Of like, wait, what do you do exactly? Like, what's what's your deal? Uh, I'm still unclear. He's sort of a security guard. He's, he's security. kind of a PR guy, though. He's, but he's kind of like a marketing intern. Uh, <laughs> you know, this is like a really great activation for him or something. Well, I like. I think that there's. Um, I, I think that's something I like. And you're just looking at this movie as, as a whole, yeah. Especially considering where you end up this in this movie. Um, I, I I like that about it. Mm-hmm. I like that you know it has kind of this technological dreamlike quality where I dream sometimes where I'm a baseball player and then all of a sudden I'm the manager and then all of a sudden I'm a fan <laughs> and all of a sudden I'm, you know, it's like yeah, all, yeah, you yeah. just, just you're so many things within the concept, within the context of your dreams. Um, and this existence game yeah. is essentially awake, uh, a lucid dream. Yeah. You know? It definitely has that vibe. You know, we, we obviously don't realize until the end spoiler, uh, you know, how many levels we are down. You know, there isn't an inception quality to this movie as well. There is. You know what I mean? In terms of the multiple layers of reality that are existing. Um, You know, I I think there's, I mean, there's a lot of strokes of genius, I think, in this movie. But I I do think that the casting of Jennifer Jason Leigh is key to the movie working uh, as well as it does, in my opinion. She's great in it. You know, she's, I don't know, this, this might, this might be one of my favorite performances of hers, if I'm being honest. Um, I don't know how you feel about it, Barry. I yeah, I feel this, this is one of her strongest. I mean, this is also the most room she's been able to play with that she's had in quite some time. I feel. I yeah. mean, uh, you know, I can't remember the last you know lead project from her, and where she also got you know it was um, talking about the Tarantino movie is probably the last big Hateful Eight was probably the last big movie she yeah had. right, and I mean she was you know relegated to you know one eighth of a of a screen time there if if that. Mm-hmm. Um, when she wasn't just being mercilessly beat upon by uh, Kurt Russell, um, so <laughs> yeah, I mean maybe Margot at the wedding, Margot at the wedding, yeah, but that was kind of no, like a Nicole Kidman showcase. Yeah. So yeah, yeah so but I, I mean here she gets the lead, she gets to have intentions that are not clear at all, yeah, um, to the yeah. audience, and she gets to have fun with that and talking about you know the levels that we go down in this thing. That gives her a lot of mischief uh to really play with and and also you know she gets to come kind of combine that with being the experienced designer you know she's kind of the star of her own dream Mm -hmm. um and then she gets to be the seductress with jude law's character and then she gets to maybe be the villain um at the very end um so she's given a lot of room to play with and cronenberg gives her the biggest kind of 
leash, I guess, to, yeah. to go off. She seems it, talking yeah. about the line readings. I mean, you know, I feel I feel we can do almost a whole podcast about that because <laughs> as I was as I was watching it and I hadn't watched it in you know quite a while um, until recently, I thought, oh my god, these line readings are just terrible. <laughs> He's just such a what is he doing? And then it's only at the end that you realize, you know, exactly everybody was kind of playing their own meta role. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, the, and every- the accents in particular mm-hmm. are just fucking insane i mean like ian holm yeah. and and don mckellar are oh, barely don intelligible McKellar. yeah yeah <laughs> where you're just like what is happening here it's a weird ass movie <laughs> um, it, and it is especially you know like there's something kind of crazy about the way you know 1999 mm. in video games you didn't even have goldeneye yet right yeah. So you we 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 weren't we weren't even into first person mm-hmm. multiple player shooters. There certainly weren't networks. I mean, you had you had Doom, but Doom sucked, and Duke Nukem <laughs> and things like that. Yeah. That like Wolfenstein, you, Wolfenstein, right? Like Mist and things like that. That like yeah. build out these worlds. Mm-hmm. But 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 this is several several levels. You know, not to use the same term, but several levels yeah. beyond what had actually existed. And I am kind of amazed by, by how much closer this is to what we're doing now, the world of Warcraft type games mm-hmm. um, or the stuff that I don't even know or play. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's, yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I actually, you know, in, in doing research on the film, I was, I was, I don't want to say disappointed because that's the wrong word, but I did find myself just going like every goddamn review talked about the matrix or every article talked about the matrix in, in connection with this film, which listen, I understand. I mean, it's, it's an obvious one-to-one thing to bring it up, but there's a part of me that feels like, and I love the matrix and we're going to do the matrix and it's going to be fucking great. But you know, this is, this is doing a completely different thing. I don't think this movie is anything like the matrix. I, I the reason that people say it, it's because it's you jack yourself into a video game. I like think that's that's, think, that's yeah. basically the, where I, the beginning I, and ends of, of that argument. I share your frustration. I think it's a very lazy comparison. It is because I feel like this film really is talking about a lot of different things, and not to say that the Matrix isn't talking about a whole host of things because it is too. But I just I don't know. I, I'm 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 fascinated with the the biological argument that 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 Cronenberg is making. This idea of whether or not. We are sort of, is technology, can it be organic in some way? Because I feel like technology feels so distant and inorganic and feels so cold. And I think he's trying to make it human in this movie and yet also not human. I, I don't know. There's a lot going on in it that I find really interesting. I, I think like the video game, it, it's almost an, ex, it's just a kind of coincidental excuse for Cronenberg to, to, yeah. to, as you say, explore those ideas about technology where does technology end and where does the body begin and vice versa? I mean, he was talking about the exact same things with Videodrome, um, which was in the seventies and was, you know, using the kind of platform of television uh, to do that. Um, And, you know, the fact that at the time video games games were kind of on the rise maybe. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there was talk about VR, even in its infancy kind of gave him the excuse to just explore the depths and the murkiness of that kind of extension of the body that has always kind of been running throughout his entire filmography. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I, there, there's a, it, it's, in, you know, it's interesting because if you, I don't know if you guys read about how he came up with the idea, but the idea came to him because I, he did an interview with Salman Rushdie uh, for Shift Magazine in 1995, and at the time Rushdie was in hiding due to a fatwa uh, that. 
uh, was put on his life because of the satanic verses. So basically, Cronenberg had the idea of a fatwa against a virtual reality gamer. So when you think about the fact that the inception of this idea comes from that place, you know that this is not a guy that wanted to talk about video games. Which, which, by, yeah. which by the way, kind of fucking happened. Like, yeah. kind of fucking happened <laughs> with Gamergate. That's yeah. actually true. We're yeah. like female video game um, designers were getting actual death threats. So that's – so the kind of the the, the cult and religion, cult slash religion, I don't really know what it is, Mm -hmm. of of video games, he absolutely presaged in a a really kind of – Unsettling way. It was was the first thing I thought of was, wow, uh, a female video game designer in a world – you know, in in 1999 before there were any – really prominent female video game designers being treated like a goddess slash demoness. Yeah. That's what happened. Ten Death years. to the demoness, Allegra Keller. Yeah, that's what happened 15 <laughs> years later. Yeah. Um, and like, it goes, I mean, look, I don't want to talk about Gamergate too much, frankly, because I don't know that much, but right. I do know and that. And also, it, let's not give them, a, you know, well, their but day in the in court. Whatever. It's not even, it's yeah. it, the, the, the fact is like, it, it, it is a really important moment in, in, the, in, the, in the history of the internet, because I think the same group of people who were involved in Gamergate became the same group of people who are on the alt-right and who are active on the 4chan message boards. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I, I think that, you know, I, and I think we're going to kind of come back to this with the Matrix too, because they've taken over a lot of these kind of... And Fight Club. And Fight Club. A lot of, a lot of these uh, technologically bent movies yeah. from the late 90s. Um, so I think that that in and of itself is a reason to kind of watch this movie from a uh, historical perspective. I agree. I mean, I think there's also, you know, he packs a lot of things into this movie too. And, and, and to sort of, to kind of take that to its uh, somewhat to a natural conclusion, but, but there's also the religious elements that are mixed into this film as well. I mean, you have that scene with Willem Dafoe talking to Jula before he puts his bioport in, where he's talking about, have you ever played her game art God? And basically asking, you know, thou the player of the game art God. I mean, I, I think that there he's definitely packing a lot into that idea, sort of God, the artist, the mechanic. You know what I mean? I, I think that there's a lot of – he's – I mean, if anything, I would almost say that he's trying to maybe pack too much into this movie. Yeah, I, I think with, with most of his stuff, he's, he's trying to pack too much, um, <laughs> especially when he's the writer behind it. Um, and you can sense like the – the messiness of that and the ideas that are just kind of like overspilling his cup. Yes. Um, yes. His cup runs over. Yes, absolutely. Uh, it, it does spill it over and it, it's a really weird, icky, gooey green thing that, that <laughs> spills over. Can we, can we not, I, I wanted to talk about this stuff. This is the stuff that really interests me, but yeah. can you guys educate me on Cronenberg's body horror thing? Because he is outside of maybe early Peter Jackson, he is the only director who I think rose to prominence. Maybe mm-hmm. a little Lynch too, but but mostly Cronenberg. Mostly yeah. Cronenberg rose to prominence on the back of body horror, yeah. which isn't <laughs> horror, you know, which is which is yeah. which is a much more elevated well body concept. horror and like overly sexualized body horror. I mean, it's it, it, what's it, and I, I I very much want your opinion on this, Barry, but I I, I will <laughs> say that. Uh, for me personally, I still think that it is kind of hilarious that the, 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 probably the most successful Canadian filmmaker is David Cronenberg. I mean, I I think that if you were to sort of make a list, 
Like, name five Canadian filmmakers, which I think most Americans would be hard-pressed to do. Seth Rogen, <laughs> Evan Goldberg. <laughs> sure, sure. But, you know what I, I – and I, I say that – Harold I mean, Ramis. Is Harold Ramis Canadian? I don't know. Is he? He's not Canadian. Uh, Harold Ramis is not Canadian. He's uh, Chicago. Uh, Norman Jewison, I think, is probably oh. the, the, the number two or maybe number one slot, depending on the generation you ask. But Yeah, different generations will have – I mean, like, Adam McGoy ends up there, you know. Yeah, you say, like, for us, I think, uh, or just ahead or just below, you know, you'd go Cronenberg, Goyen. Um, <laughs> well, then, then the Americans start to get stumped. I mean, I yeah. could go and I could say Bruce Donald. I sure, could say sure, sure. Edda, but, like, right. I'm not sure how much that would translate you know, south of uh, a Buffalo. So. Phil challenged me last week to name a Canadian film, and I got the sweet, sweet hereafter. He did. And that was about it. Well, so I challenged him. I want to I, I be clear that the reason I challenged him was because he kept claiming that Dudley Do-Right was a Canadian <laughs> movie. <laughs> Listen, the Canadian films can be many things, but it is not Dudley Do-Right. Is it Super Troopers 2 a Canadian no, movie? No, those guys are not <laughs> from Canada. Super Troopers 2 takes place in Canada. Is it ca- again, Canadian I mean, Bacon a Canadian movie? Oh, Jesus Christ. Was John Candy Canadian? Yes. John Candy Oh. That's a great Canadian. Well, all SCTV was all Canadian. So I think that's where I got my Harold Ramis mixed up. But it's possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was part of the Chicago SCTV. But yeah. but to, to back to your original question in terms of sort of the the trajectory of Cronenberg's career, I, I am not a Cronenberg uh, um, expert. I, I I have seen most of his movies, uh, and I I think that he is a a fascinating filmmaker, and I'm I'm thrilled to see that he's still making movies. Uh, I will say that for me personally, uh, they're they're kind of too gross for me a lot of the time. <laughs> um, you know, I, I just they they don't always connect with me. How do you like the fly? Do you like the fly? I mean, I do like the fly. I think that I don't know if I had to pick a favorite film of his. I mean, I really love Existence. I think Crash is a masterpiece in its own insane way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Dead Ringers is. Possibly, you know, I, I mean, there's Dead Ringers, there's Videodrome, uh, you know, people love Naked Lunch. Um, they're the newer ones that aren't really relatively. On this. The, the, oh, and no, then no, there's they, oh, there yes. are the newer yes. ones. Then there's Eastern History of Islands, Eastern Promises that aren't yeah. quite on. Those, yeah, those are a, a, a little more mainstream. I so would agree. Th- those I, are almost kind of I feel like works for hire. Um, Interesting, kind of, especially like History of Violence, yeah. um, a Dangerous Method. Um, he gets he gets a bit more into his own territory, or he brings more of his own sensibilities to something like yeah, a history of violence. Just in you know in the in the viol- in the in the violence there, obviously. <laughs> um, and then he and then he completely in, it kind of cocoons within himself for something like Cosmopolis or uh-huh. uh, Maps to the Stars was his latest one, and you know might be his last one because I I did hear the kind of the. Rumor beat around here in uh, Canada is that you know he's he's essentially semi-retired. Um, oh, that's interesting. How old is David like Cronenberg? Any, he's pretty it's old. It's not like producers are are walking up to him bags of money. So uh, I am I am looking up how old Cronenberg is. I think he is he's quite old, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I, I think that he uh, he's seventy five. But what's interesting, Art, because he doesn't uh, have that probably that many more movies. Cosmopolis. Is very much a, a blank check kind of movie. Yeah, I did not um, like. It probably cost fifty thousand dollars and whatever I had to pay Robert, Robert Pattinson. But <laughs> it's very much a blank check kind of movie where I, th- I think he had an idea and he wanted to do it. But when he was making 
history of violence and Eastern, Eastern promises. promises. Yeah. Um, he was as hot as, as any. Yeah. He was in Oscar conversations. Totally. As, as any, um, elite level filmmaker at yeah. that time, he probably could have done whatever he wanted. So, I mean, I think that, I think those two films, which I remember seeing a history of violence, which came out in 05, shortly after I moved here. Um, and, and thinking to myself, like, wow, like, I'm in L.A., and people in L.A. are talking about David Cronenberg right now in ways that I was very surprised by, in a, in a, in a positive way. Uh, that movie's great, and I think Eastern Promises is great. I think both those movies are great. Um, but I, would, I think we can both agree that they're not – they don't feel like they're overtly Cronenberg, Cronenberg movies. movies. Yeah. So no. I, think, no. I think when you think of Cronenberg – I mean, you know, people will think whatever they think. But I think when you think of Cronenberg, I think The Fly – Right, I think I've never sure. seen a movie like The Fly. Sure, um, and uh, there's only one guy who's ever done it. And Existence definitely felt in that vein. You know, when when there's a gun mm-hmm. made out of fish bones that shoots <laughs> teeth, that's one guy. <laughs> oh, I mean, I, and tell be, me that it could be one great. guy, or it could be Ivan Reitman. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Ivan Reitman, Canadian. of course, Canadian. Uh, oh, he's very successful. He's very successful. Uh, Jason Reitman, also Canadian, very successful. Um, you know, this watching watching Existence, I I found myself honestly laughing at times at just <laughs> the sheer audacity of him. You know, I, I think that that that's so. I don't know. It's so rare. There is no one like David Cronenberg. You know, I, I want to. I also got, got to also say, like, I kind of love David Cronenberg as an actor as well in the very brief <laughs> things that he's done. His episode of – Jason X. <laughs> Jason X. His episode of Alias is fantastic. Um, he's great in To Die For uh, briefly. He's – I don't know. He's He is uh, – I, I think he's just – I think he's great. I think he's one of those guys that um, is going to be very, very hard for anyone to kind of reach those heights, I think, within – Within the Canadian uh, film industry, or at least in history of film, he is going to go down as one of uh, one of the greatest filmmakers to come into Canada. Um, no, he's he's a singular, uh, you know, and I mean, I, I feel like when you you know when you say that you know you associate Cronenberg with The Fly, um, I think that there's a different sense in Canada, at least at least in Canadian film circles. I think everybody kind of associates him with a different part of his career almost because there's a lot of people for who, you know, his top work was made during the tax shelter years with like rabid and the brood. And then there's other people who kind of took on him when he went a bit more Hollywood, but still earlier with, you know, the dead zone and the fly. Um, And then when he got a bit more prestige with naked lunch, you know, and butterfly, that kind of stuff. Yeah. That I, I remember M butterfly, like that was an Oscar play, if I remember correctly. Like that felt yeah, like yeah. he was that was his first attempt, if you will, on on connecting sort of with the the intellectuals uh, that were looking for something a little bit more sort of uh, I don't know what the right word is, but accessible. Um, I'm going to say something that I think is probably going to piss you guys off, and cool. it's not yeah. it's, it's not a uh, it's not a, a it's not an <laughs> argument as much as it's a comment. Hearing you guys talk about Cronenberg. Reminds, a, reminds me a little bit about hearing Canadians talk about the tragically hip and that. That doesn't I, piss me off. I see. Well, I just, I, I, there's, there's obviously this whole, it, 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 there's this whole, it's like a volcano. I only see the top, right? Uh-huh. And there's this massive amount under, under the surface that I have no concept of. Sure. Right? I know five Cronenberg films. I, I mean, give or take the ones that yeah. have really broken through here. And even though I'm a, you know, 
I'm a student of film. I, I you know, I've, I've seen a lot of movies. I, I host a podcast on movies. Um, Tell me more. But uh, <laughs> but this is it, when when you when when a Canadian talks about the tragically hip. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, it's 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 not quite like there are Beatles, but it is kind of like this. You know, th- there are analogs for who who the tragically hip would be for me, right? Yeah. So who would be? You guys understand the breadth of Cronenberg's filmography in a way that I don't and never will. Is uh-huh. there, are there other filmmakers that you would compare him to down here? Anywhere, I mean Peter Jackson. Who doesn't I mean, matter, I think. But- I think. I mean, personally, for me, I mean, I do think that Lynch is the most is is probably the one that I would point to and say, like, you know, uh, an overt artist, you know, um, uh, uh, a person who is not looking to hold your hand in any way, shape, or form, uh, has visuals that are very unsettling. I think that Lynch has the same sort of art school vibe. That Cronenberg has, um, so I, I mean that that is probably the 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 one that I would. I don't know how you feel, Barry. Would you agree, or is there someone else you would point to? No, I would I would agree. I think it's uh, the Peter Jackson one is a good one because you know he could easily transition from you know the really kind of culty films to very um, studio shined films. Maybe I would say Sam Raimi in a sense because oh, just of his. Yeah. His starting points and how he brings those influences even into his mainstream or mainstream-ish works. Yeah. Although, you know, Cronenberg never got a blockbuster like Spider-Man, although he was uh, famously shortlisted for Return of the Jedi. Um, I was going to say, he, he, he could have. Could have. Yeah. Maybe Return of the Jedi is like whatever, but he could have. It w- yeah. I mean, like, it's just as crazy as Raimi doing Spider-Man or Peter Jackson doing Lord of the Rings, which yeah. is the craziest thing I've ever heard. So. Yeah, I mean it's it's that's that's a that's a really interesting. I think that the Raimi, the two things that I would also uh, want to highlight on Raimi and and with Lynch uh, is that they both can be very funny. Um, and I think that Cronenberg, I do think he, I think that he has a very twisted sense of humor, but I do think there is a humor in all of his movies. Uh, I, I think that he's self aware. Do you know what I mean? I you he's, know. yeah, he's definitely self aware. I mean, he knows what he's doing. He's, his sense of humor, I think, doesn't necessarily translate um, to everyone. Um, but, uh, but like, even I, I sent this quote to Kenny last night um, that I found in a in a film comment uh, interview that he was having with with that magazine. Uh, he was there with Jennifer Jason Lee, and uh, he said, "It's the dream of every red blooded Canadian boy to give red blooded American girls new orifices." <laughs> <laughs> like I just he's just a he's a weird dude but I, I think that he's also completely self-aware of how weird he is and he knows that we get a kick out of how weird he is yeah I mean there's a there's a protectionist element to it as well I mean sure you know just kind of going with the tragically hip uh, comparison I mean we want you know I think there's a general sense for Canadians we want our artists to succeed and we just happen to have this collection, this motley collection of extremely weird and perverted artists. And you will find, you know, the most humble Canadian kind of rallying behind that um, because it's, because it's Canadian. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so it's a little, it's strange, but we want, we want people to succeed. And, you know, Canadians, I think will kind of do that, you know, thing where they collect other famous Canadians and are always very proud to point out celebrities who, in, 
you know, happen to be actually Canadian. Yeah. I do it all the time. Kenny loves it. It's Jews funny. do it all the time, too. <laughs> yes, it, so. it is. And so, you know, Cronen, he, you know, somebody like Ivan Reitman, he's got that going in spades. So. Sure. Is Cronenberg not Jewish? I believe Cronenberg is Jewish. Yeah, I, I think he is. Okay. Not every Berg is Jewish. Not every Berg is Not Jewish. every, so I don't know. He's, but Mark Wahlberg. And uh, we'll be back momentarily after this special message. Uh, okay, so who doesn't love Julie Roberts, right? Obviously, everyone loves Julie Roberts. We've talked about Julie Roberts uh, with uh, with two guests. We did uh, a two-parter revolving around Notting Hill and Runaway Bride. Uh, everyone loves Julie Roberts, obviously. And with over 60 films and television appearances, uh, Julie Roberts is obviously one of the most famous actresses of our generation. Uh, you know her, you love her, who doesn't love her? We all love her. And during this year's Hollywood Fringe Festival, you can get closer to everyone's favorite pretty woman, and you won't even need something ready to wear. This June, the Asylum Theatre Company at the McAdam Place Theatre proudly presents the complete works of Julie Roberts, a parody musical. Uh, the Complete Works of Julia Roberts follows Jessica, a young woman just trying to make it on her own in L.A. when her many life obstacles drop into her lap all at once. Uh, Jessica, uh, surprised to find herself accepting guidance with the iconic roles of her favorite actress, comes to life. These, all of these things basically come to life in her living room. Uh, take a journey with Jessica as all her and your favorite Julia Roberts moments come to life in song in this hilarious ode to one of America's favorite sweethearts. Uh, if you're in Los Angeles or you're in the Los Angeles area, if you're traveling here or if you're going to be here, head over to hollywoodfringe.org for tickets to see uh, the runaway hit of this summer. And uh, here is the hook. There is no need uh, to purchase tickets because our listeners can get an exclusive code. If you type in podcast99, uh, capitalize the P-O-D-C-A-S-T 99 for a special discount. That's a discount code uh, of podcast 99. When you purchase your tickets through hollywoodfringe.org and click on the show, Complete Works of Julie Roberts, a parody musical. Tickets are on sale now, uh, so buy your tickets before they sell out because uh, it's no wonder this world premiere is giving audiences something to talk about. Thank you so much. This feels like a good time for us to. Uh, I'm going to do the synopsis just for for people that have uh, that have been uh, listening thus far and most likely have not seen Existence. Uh, the synopsis: uh, Video game designer Allegra Geller, played by Jennifer Jason Lee, has created a virtual reality game called Existence. After a crazed fan attempts to kill her, Allegra goes on the run with Ted, played by Jude Law, a young businessman who falls into the role of bodyguard. In an attempt to save her game, Allegra implants into Ted's body the video game pod that carries a damaged copy of Existence. Allegra and Ted engage in a series of experiences that blur the lines between fantasy and reality. Uh, so Existence opened on April 23rd, 1999, uh, but three weeks after uh, The Matrix did. It opened in 15th place with $810,000 uh, behind Pushing Tin and a movie called Lost and Found, which I don't even know what that movie is. but We'll, we'll watch it. We'll watch it. I actually think I know what that is. I think I, – honestly, I think that's a David Spade comedy. Great. Yes. Can't wait. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, with the dog. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, it. I like with the dog. Yeah. Like, like there was only one David Spade movie that that had a dog. No, I think he's. I think he kidnaps a dog, right, Barry? It's, it's like a fake kidnapping dog. Oh, it's for, for a girl. I, le- to, to I legit made the same to... movie. No. In ninth grade. Oh, I mean. <laughs> And I could, I probably have it somewhere about kidnapping a dog sure. to impress a girl. Sure. Yeah. Who hasn't come up with that idea? Well, me and Spade. 
the movie uh, Existence went on to gross $2.8 million on a $15 million budget. How much? $2.8 million. Domestic on a 15- or, or worldwide? Worldwide. Well, what are you going to do? Uh, this is, again, where I sort of come back to, and I, I'm, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this, Barry. You know, I, I think that part of the failures of Canadian cinema in a lot of ways just has to do with, um, in a lot of ways, marketing, in a lot of ways, getting behind movies. This, in is, ways a, this that, is an easy movie to market, so you're totally right about no, that. No, I'm not saying it's an easy movie to market. <laughs> uh, I, I guess what I'm saying is I'm surprised that this movie, I could see this movie doing well overseas. And, and sort of, I mean, I, I, and I don't say that in a, in a, a derogatory fashion. I just think that, that this is a movie that in my opinion could have made back its $15 million budget. I don't think that's a staggering sum of money. I don't feel as though you had, you had, you know, people in this movie that, that people knew. Um, I'm just a little surprised because I look at, you know, some of the successes that David Lynch, for instance, has had, or Sam Raimi has had to, to allude to Barry's you know, uh, connection. And it just sort of feels like this movie kind of got, I don't know, kind of got fucked is sort of what I'm getting at. I I don't know why this movie didn't connect with, with a bigger audience. Well, marketing is a hundred percent the number one problem in terms of getting Canadian cinema traction. Um, not, not even outside the country, but within, (laughs) um, I, I mean, like in terms of, I know we say like, this is kind of a hard movie to market just because of its, incredibly gross content but it's actually compared to a lot of canadian films uh at least today and probably when it was made this is a this is a slam dunk in terms of marketing you have a director <laughs> what, i a agree history you yeah. have brand name stars um that appeal to uh, an american and a global audience uh, um so but marketing is is always been the toughest part um and you know telefilm which is the federal agency that funds a lot of Canadian cinema, or at least in part, and definitely had its hands in existence. They've only recently kind of come around to marketing and being a promoter is just as important, if not more so, than actually raising production funds for these kinds of movies. That's interesting. I'll I'll go the other way in that um, (laughs) I'm shocked. I would have expected this movie to do better in hindsight, because I thought this movie made a dent. I thought this movie was well-remembered, was well-reviewed at the time, was well-remembered. 72% of Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, no, and and and, and was a different kind of movie. I, I, it, it certainly didn't elude me, yep. right? Yep. So uh, I'm surprised it did 2.8 because I thought it, I, I just thought it had a bigger imprint. Yeah. Um, I also can kind of see why it didn't do so well. Um, compared to the matrix, it looks like it was made 15 years prior fraction of the money, um, for, yeah, for a fraction of the money, of of course, but that movie existed. It was still in theaters Mm -hmm. and everyone was comparing the two on top of it. And this is so topical and dumb. Um, the title doesn't help. The title I think promises a different kind of movie. I think it promises a, a virtuosity esque Lawnmower Man esque, mm. um, technologically drenched, or state movie. of the art sort of. That's kind of what I'm getting. Yeah, at. yeah. With the Z at the end and the, the stylized X, I think it's promising a different movie. And I think a lot of people who would have gone to see it first weekend mm-hmm. probably came out and said, uh, "That's not you know yeah. PlayStation the movie." 
That's yeah. a movie. That's a movie with with <laughs> teeth getting shot at people. So, which is I, pretty cool. You got to admit the, the, well, te- the teeth and the gun. I actually think the movie's pretty cool. Yeah. I think the movie's pretty cool, but it's like it's decidedly an art house movie. Yeah, kind of masquerading, and I don't mean that they yeah. did this on purpose, but yeah. kind of masquerading as this technologically driven state of the art movie, as you said. Yeah, um, especially up against the Matrix. So that all kind of makes sense to me why it was almost out of time. And I think um, it also, I mean, to, to piggyback on what you're saying there, I do think that the aesthetics of it, I mean, it is it is intentionally living in a uh, fake looking world. You know, you have, uh, which is not something generally that Cronenberg does. Mm-hmm. I mean, he takes, I, I've, at least I think he takes a lot of care in building his worlds to be as realistic as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so this just to have like, rear projection when they're driving to have a, a motel room that kind of looks like it could be a set. Yeah, I mean, I think Willem that Willem Dafoe's names be, be just gas, just gas. <laughs> um, it's no, I mean, you, you the, the, the whole thing does kind of feel like, you know, the, the, the thing about video games yeah. is there is some care taken, but not nearly as much care as is taken in filmmaking, for yeah. instance, just can't do it. You mm-hmm. just can't program that. He certainly couldn't back then. So, I thought having him named Gas was a great touch. <laughs> well, it's also – it's the exact opposite and, and we don't need to talk about this anymore but the exact opposite of The Matrix. Like The Matrix is trying to convince you that it is the real world. Mm-hmm. This – I don't believe this movie is trying to convince you that it is the real world. I think it's trying to do the opposite. I think, no, it's trying to confuse yeah. you on that subject. Yeah. Um, yeah. Much like Total Recall. Because it has the same kind of starting point, right? The mm-hmm. same it, – it, it's – you're going to go into a game. The game didn't work. Yeah. Which is exactly what happens in Total Recall, right? Yeah. He wakes up. He, he gets put into whatever the, the device is and they tell him the device didn't work. And then yeah. you go into the Total Recall yeah. of it. But Total Recall is nine years prior to this, I think. I think it's 1990. They yeah, look, I believe so. They look pretty much the same. So it does feel – Existence does feel dated to me, and I think it probably felt dated in the moment. Well, I think that Total Recall is a little bit more cartoonish than this movie. I would say a lot more cartoonish than this movie. Yeah, I, Total Total Recall had like a different end game in mind. I mean that yeah. that setup was intended to bridge action set pieces, um, and this movie is intended the you know the set piece is going to a Chinese <laughs> restaurant and puking. Um, I don't know if I don't know if you're giving Total Recall enough credit. I, I mean, I, I, I really, I'm serious. <laughs> I like Total Recall a lot. I think it's I I don't mean to suggest, and I don't think Barry does either, that 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 isn't a intellectual exercise because I think that that Paul Verhoeven is an intellectual filmmaker. I think that the execution of that movie is decidedly campier and decidedly more sort of overtly fun. Like I don't think that Cronenberg. I think let me rephrase. I think Cronenberg is trying to be fun in this movie mm-hmm. but Cronenberg's <laughs> version of fun and Verhoeven's are very different and I think that for Cronenberg building a gun out of mutated fish bones and then <laughs> taking your teeth out and firing them into the face of a Chinese waiter is fun yeah it is fun <laughs> I think it actually speaks to kind of like actually there, there is a kind of structural problem or an inherent problem in the setup of existence that I, I don't necessarily think is a deficit but I think proves that Cronenberg doesn't really care about video games and or anything like that and was just kind of trying to further his lifelong obsession with with body horror is that 
<laughs> you know, for video game users, you want generally an escape from reality and you want to, you know, you want to be a gunslinger or you want to be a sexy spy or you want to go around just having like crazy sexual adventures or something like that. That's what VR and the promise of AR is. Like in Cronenberg's mind, it's okay. I would like to play this game where I have to suck the marrow out of a mutant fish, and then I have to fight all these spores, and then I have to have my spine cut in half. That's his kind of idea of what people and people in his version, in his mind, people are lining up to do this, which is yeah. not at all what the promise or the enticement of a video game is. So that's why I think it just goes to show that he doesn't really care about that at he all. He could not give less fucks about the fact that this is about video games. I don't agree with you guys okay. because I think, I think we have to deal. I think you have to deal with the ending of this movie. I think, um, We'll, we'll get to the ending. We should talk about the ending when we get to. Well, it. the ending matters because the ending. Why do I know? Well, you, if you're going to talk about the movie as a whole, you have to. I mean, there's no spoiler okay. here. All right, all right. Um, you you have to deal with the fact that the ending of this movie is explicitly uh, an exercise on what is real, what is fake, and is it possible to get too sucked in to a virtual world and bring that into the real world? Um, you know, again, this is this is. Right around the time of Columbine. This is, yeah, it's true. This is what, two or three months later, right? Yeah. It was released two or three months later. This idea of video games. Well, no, the Columbine shootings happened in, this came out weeks after. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Wow! Nice! Yeah! What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. I think the Columbine shootings were in January, right? And this was April? No, they were. Columbine was uh, 420, infamously. Oh, so this was like right after. Days after. Days after. You're right. You're right. So this is right around that same time as Columbine. This idea of can video games inform your real life? Can a violent video game make you a violent person? Sure. And that is what's happening at the end of this movie. Now, it's, it's a question of, just like in Total Recall, it's a question of whether or not that part is still a video game or not. The last moment. But I, I, I if, yeah. if if he's not making that argument, I don't know what he's doing. Well, okay, I guess l- l- yes, and I'm, I, I probably was a little bit too too glib or dismissive of of the fact that Cronenberg doesn't want to say anything about video games. I mean, I think he definitely wants to say something about it's not it's reality. Not, yeah, it's not I just don't think it's video. That's game. what I was going to say. But it's but, more about like video games are entertainment significantly versus, yes. different than TV or yes, film in that, that you're an active participant. It's, it's immersive. And, that's what and this whole movie is about. So I agree with that. I think that all I think everything we've said is very true, and I yeah. think that might be his main um, his main 
thrust with this movie. Yeah. It is unmistakable that this movie ends with these two people shooting the video game designer just as they, just as people did within the context of that game. Right. Um, Fair enough. Um, I think that I just wanted to briefly touch on, on Cronenberg's top notch production team that he tends to use for most of his films. Um, Howard Shore, who does the score for, I think, I think almost all of Cronenberg's movies, if I'm not mistaken, um, who obviously is a tremendous composer. Um, and I think is so important to Cronenberg's films working in the way that they do that uneasiness. And yet this sort of beautiful classicism to the way that, that Howard Shore scores his films, I think is phenomenal. Um, uh, Peter, I don't know how, is it Sushitsky? His, uh, his DP? Yeah, I can't pronounce it either. Okay, cool. Uh, who is, who's generally speaking, shoots most of uh, Cronenberg's films. And then Carol Spire, who does his production design, who's an amazing production designer. Uh, I feel like, you know, real visionary filmmakers like Cronenberg have these deep benches of below-the-line people that they go back to over and over again. And he's, he's no different. And I think all these people are, are tremendous, um, you know. I, I think that in the in the in Canadian film circles, you know, they are basically, you know, the pinnacle. Uh, so let's let's talk about the plot, shall we, Barry? Uh, yeah, let's let's try. Let's let's try and talk about this Byzantine uh, plot. Uh, I mean, basically, it opens with a, uh, a research group. A bunch of people are brought into you know where you generally test video games in a church. Mm-hmm. You know, which in a really creepy, weird church. Uh, ne- almost necessarily, though. <laughs> <laughs> yes, necessarily. I, lo- I mean, they're in the pews. I thought that was great. They're in the pews, and uh, and basically, we are ex- we are um, introduced to Jennifer Jason Lee as Allegra Geller. Jude Law is there as a security guard, uh, and this company antenna. I think is the name of it, Antenna. Yeah, Antenna Research uh, are behind this 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 new video game, and these people are the first people who get to test it. Uh, Chris Eccleston's accent in, is so bizarre right out of the gate for a reason, though. Yeah, I mean, no, they, like, I like, but it's I still weird. Yeah, um, I had never seen him in anything except for The Leftovers. Really? Yes. I mean, not not. I've never seen Shallow Grave. I, you say I never no. saw his Doctor Who one. <laughs> No, <laughs> Shallow Grave's a great movie. No, I think Shallow I knew Grimm. he was do- in Doctor Who just because when he was on uh, The Leftovers, I'd made a point of looking him up because he had such a prominent role in that show, but I had never seen him in anything else. That's really – I didn't know that. No. He's he's a great actor. Uh, you would love Shallow Grave. He's a Shallow weird Grimm. ass actor. He's weird. Yeah. Uh, the first thing that I noticed right out of the gate was how uh, disconcerting the visual palette was already. Like everything has this sort of flesh-colored quality to it. Right. I mean, immediately, first of all, from the credit sequence, which is, I guess, a series of sort of bones and flesh and sort of a, a puzzle of biological imagery. Uh, Kenny's face is uh, apropos, sort of, <laughs> sort of agreeing and also sort of questioning. No, it sounds about right. No, it's like it's like an early screensaver from Windows. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a very, very good point. Uh, so Jennifer Jason Lee, I think. As we discussed, she is perfectly cast. She has that sort of sexy, intellectual, weird, darkly comedic quality that I think this role is necessitates. I also think it's interesting that she, at this point, had already shot her role in Eyes Wide Shut 
only to have it recast because they needed to bring some, they needed her to come back and she was already signed on for this. So there were scheduling conflicts and she decided to stick with this. I forgot. Who was she in that? She was uh, the Miranda, the Marie Richardson, the the daughter that whose father dies. Oh, that's so weird. Um, who, uh, who then, uh, like tells him yeah, and says how much she loves him. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it, that, that's more of a commentary on Eyes Wide Shut than it is this film. But I also love the fact that she, you know, she signed a contract and she wanted to do this film. And I imagine that this film, much more significant role. I mean, it's it's sort of, you know, it feels kind of like, of course, she decided to to do this. But um, it, was, it was great casting. I kind of can't imagine anyone else doing it. Though she reminds me so much of Anna Paquin. Really? Well, yeah, just the way they look, but That's also the way they act. But yeah. you know, obviously, she's twenty years older, so yeah. it's not as if you were going to go. Yeah, it's, it's weird, kind of, to me sure. how similar the two are. Uh, we're then introduced to the terminology of meta flesh, which feels like Cronenberg just in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. If there's <laughs> if there's a word that describes him, uh, we then see these game pods, which we've sort of talked about, which are these fleshy, weird, vibrating, um, oozing, sort of, not oozing, but sort of, what's the, pulsating? Yeah, they're like gelatinish, Ish. Gelatinous, I guess. Gelatinous. And they, they sound like gremlins they're, when you turn them on. And you put them on your lap. <laughs> and you, they look like mutated whoopee cushions, I feel. That's right. They do. They do. They look like diseased whoopee cushions. And they actually can get diseased. They get diseased. Well, they, they are – I mean, and this is something that Cronenberg talked a little bit about. And I, of course, but I'm not going to pull him up. But he talks a lot about how he made Jennifer Jason Lee take the pod home with her and that it would sort of – he wanted her to love it. He wanted her to – it was a creature. It was something that he wanted her to have an emotional attachment to, which I think is conveyed quite well in the film. I have an emotional attachment to my iPhone. Sure, sure. Like for real, as you saw yesterday at lunch, <laughs> Phil and I. Yeah, went, Phil and I went to lunch yesterday. It was amazing. And my i my iPhone was not connected to the internet, yeah. and for about twenty minutes, I was inconsolable. He was. He was <laughs> it was like you kind of went like to a dark Tom, place. It was like my Tamagotchi was done. <laughs> you just were like, "Why is LTE working for you? Yeah, it's not working. It's not working for me." I had to leave. I had like, I was like <laughs> it was. It was got, too much. I gotta go. <laughs> um, but these game pods are, as as is explained later in the film, they're sort of a, a, a genetic. Um, it's sort of this mixture of animal DNA and technology um, that they've sort of fused together into this very sort of interesting technological advancement. Um, Which is connected by umbilical cord. To your – oh, yeah. So you have a bioport. It's an umbicord. But yes, it's an umbilical cord, mm-hmm. which you have a, a bioport that is installed in the base of your spine, which kind of looks like an anus. <laughs> I don't it looks know. exactly like an anus. Okay, cool. I was just making sure that we're on yeah, the same like, page. It looks yeah. like it, it looks like uh, it looks like the the logo from Greendale and Community. Yeah, from Greendale. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so so they sort of blast a hole in the base of your spine. Rob's going to love this movie. Rob can't wait to watch this film. Um, and they take an umbilical cord and they they sort of I don't even really know. It's sort of like sucked inside you, sort of. A little bit, yeah. It's it's ported into you. Yeah. What's so weird about it is you'd expect it to be like a like a socket and yeah. a plug. Yeah. But it's not a socket and a plug. No. It's a lot more. It's a lot more organic. It's a lot more like it's sexual. Quite frankly, it's kind yeah, of got a. It's, it's a lot. Kind I'm, of got that. Vibe. I'm not gonna. Yeah. It, it's, you don't want to talk about. It's actually even. Penises? But it, it's even less sex. It's even like like less. It makes less sense than 
sexual intercourse. Oh, absolutely. Where those two yeah. things just fit perfectly. Yeah. Like this is kind of cut like across yeah. a little bit. Yep. And there are there are And you have to lock it in in like a weird lock way. Lock it in. So yeah. it is kind of that mixture between technology and, yeah. and uh organic. So they so they start testing this game. Someone comes into the into the uh into the group and tries to assassinate Allegra uh with uh the fishbone gun that we will later see uh and he shoots her in the shoulder mm-hmm. uh and shoots Chris Eccleston uh who's taken out of the game pretty quickly and then Jude Law and our uh, Ted and Allegra run off together basically at that point. Um and, and they find out that he shot teeth Later, when they are, when he is removing said bullet from her shoulder, he realizes that it is a, a human tooth, um, which uh, seems normal in the context of this film. Well, they explain it in the, they explain it in the context that it was fashioned to get through metal detectors, right? Which kind of is interesting too, because I don't know if you guys remember, but one of the things that people were so freaked out about with three D printers were that you could three D print a gun that wouldn't be metal. And you'd be able to get through metal detectors. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if that's happened or not, but it's just – it is the kind of paranoia people have, like another kind of weapon that we won't be able to stop. So I think that's an interesting concept in and of itself. I, I, I agree with that. I mean that sounds that- – I mean a tooth gun, but you know, still. <laughs> he says tooth – so deriding about the tooth gun, but anyway. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm, I'm reverent. I'm- but more than anything, this movie wastes no time. Like it gets right into the story, it hits the ground running. It's clear very early on that this is, that that Cronenberg is leaning into story with this movie, which he hasn't done in a little bit since this film. I think the previous film is Crash, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right, Barry? Um, I'm, I don't I know. I think it's. Uh, I feel as though he um, he does. Let's just look this up. Yeah. So he does. It was, it was yeah, crash. It was crash. So he does Naked Lunch in 91. He does M Butterfly in 93. He does Crash in 96. And he does Existence in 99. Um, and we, it, should, we should make this clear to people who aren't aware. This is a different crash. Oh, yes. This sorry. This isn't, the cra- <laughs> this isn't the crash we shit on every other it's episode. It's the good one. Yes. There was a, there is a crash. Mo- when was it? 90? 1996. It's James Spader, Holly Hunter, Elias Cotillas. Uh, Deborah Kara Unger, based on the J.G. Ballard book of people that were sexually aroused by crashing cars into one another. Mm-hmm. They would have uh, sex uh, at crash have sex, sites. Yeah, at crash sites. They'd have – there's a lot of wound fucking going on in that movie too of just sort of like scars. <laughs> Rob's face is like, yeah, I've been there. Well, yeah. uh, and uh, Wound fucking seems to be a theme. <laughs> Uh, but, I like it when a guy puts his, you know, <laughs> fetishes right there up on screen. Oh, yeah. No, Cronenberg is not. I respect that. Hiding any of it. He's, he's, yeah, he's not a shy person. He's not a shy person. Uh, so, yeah, like the fuck wounds, whatever. But he just – it feels like it's a pulpy tech thriller right from the jump. And it's it's pretty clear that he's trying to connect on a story level, which he has not done in a while. Um, lots of beautiful, great close-up photography in this film. I think they do just – I don't know. His his photography is just – I really think his movies look absolutely beautiful. Um, what are your thoughts on Jude Law in this film, Kenny? Um, I don't have a lot of thoughts outside of what I said earlier, which is uh, I think he was well cast. I think it's a super weird role. I think as you see at the end – I mean we allude to this a little bit with Eccleston. Uh, Jude Law is another one. A lot of people have different accents at the end of this movie when they're pulled out of the game. Yeah. Jude Law has a British accent. So um, – 
his kind of odd American accent in the movie, which does throw you. It does throw me too. Isn't so bad. Yeah, I agree. Uh, when you look at it in terms of the whole movie, um, I think he was really well cast. You know, I mean, we discussed this in Ripley. Mm-hmm. I, I love him as an actor. I think he does a lot of things really well. Yeah, I think he's tremendously talented. Yeah. I mean, I think that I, I he loses me a little bit. He gets a little all shucks in the in the early stages of this film, which I understand the point of it. I yeah. get the role that he's playing, the role within the role. I get all of that. Um, so that bumped me a little bit at first, but then I kind of was like. I was into it, so it's it's you know. it's necessary to have a, a quote unquote noob. Yes, in this movie. sure, sure, sure. Uh, I mean, he's so new; he doesn't even have a bio for it. Yeah, he is. He's a virgin. <laughs> he's, yeah, and then he gets that great line of, I think it's like, I have a I have a real phobia of being by having my body penetrated. Yeah, <laughs> don't we all though, Barry? Don't. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that should have been the tagline. I think that should have been on the poster. <laughs> I, it, it, the it, universal theme of please don't penetrate me. It made me almost feel like when when he said that, and he's such a uh, a weak, pathetic character at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, it made me almost feel like Cronenberg was basically saying like, "You guys all should try it." You know, like like loosen up in the bedroom. Basically, is 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 what is what it seemed like. Yeah, do you know what I mean? I, yeah, like I, only only this pathetic loser mm-hmm. has a phobia of being penetrated. That's what I'm getting at. I agree, and okay. I think that I think that that's exactly how Cronenberg feels. Yeah, yeah. I, I think Cronenberg thinks that you know a lack of penetration is for wusses, for squares. Yeah, squares. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I also like that the fishbone gun is to get it through the metal detectors, which I think is also interesting. I pointed that out. Did you? The whole 3D printer thing. Oh shit! I'm so sorry. It's okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, I'm just yeah. Sorry. Um, so. What else? Uh, Ted and Allegra hole up, hole up in a motel. Allegra discovers that Ted doesn't have a port, as we spoke of. He's scared of that. Uh, we also just sort of – she talks about how emotional she is about her game pod. It's been injured during the assassination attempt, and the only way she can find it if her baby has been hurt is to play the game with somebody else, someone friendly, as she says. Uh, and Ted agrees to get a bioport so that he can be that friendly uh, person with her. Was the baby the pod or was the baby the game? I thought the baby was the game. I – I yeah, the yes. game, yeah, the game. You're the right. game and the yeah. pod are kind of one of the synonymous. Yeah, you saw that guy at the very beginning who turned out to be the assassin with the teeth gun. He had this old, yes, uh, yes, game yes, um, which I, I kind of thought it was insinuated that each new game needs this new model. Oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his pod, his pod was almost like an old peg leg. Compared to like the really yeah. good prosthetics we have today, you know, like it, like sure, it, you no, know, it did. It didn't look organic at all. No, it looked gross. It, it looked like a really bad no, attempt no. Yeah. at creating. I what, agree. Yeah, uh, Willem Dafoe then shows up because, of course, Willem Dafoe is in a Cronenberg movie. Like that's a guy I can't believe it took this long to be in a Cronenberg film. Uh, so he shows up as gas, the gas station attendant, where uh, he's going to do the the bioport installation for him, which is a deeply unsettling scene. It's like a fucking back alley abortion. It's, it's like it, the it same was, idea. It, it is. Yeah. And it, 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 it also feels very um, rapey <laughs> uh, a little bit. There's just sort of the there, – A little bit. You know what I mean? Just in terms of there's something very – I don't know. It, there's something um, very aggressive about it and sort of your body being uh, – anyway. Uh, 
so there's also this, there's a great shot in where Allegra is feeling the walls of the gas station outside the gas station, where you really sort of get the sense that she's fascinated with the texture of the world a little bit, which I think also leads into and tees up a little bit of, you know, are we, uh, you know, what's real and what is not, obviously. We see one of these two-headed, I don't even know, frogs, I guess, outside the gas station. Which basically is the you know, the first very clear clue to me yeah. that this is the game. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because much like Total Recall, like they don't say you are now in the game at any point. No. It just kind of hard cuts and now all of a sudden you're in a game. Um, I really loved the scene the where Allegra confronts Ted to get the Bioport. Because basically Ted kind of bitches out a little bit and he's like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. And then she sort of stands on a pile of tires to be able to look him directly in the eye. And there's just a very interesting sort of intensity to that, to that scene that I think is really, really cool. Uh, Not sure what that noise was, but that's cool. Oh, that was, that was me. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> um, and then we have just a really, the punch of a hard cut as Ted has this bioport blasted into his spine. Uh, and we then learn that Willem Dafoe has installed a bad port into Ted uh, to fry Allegra's game pod and to fuck up her game as sort of a scam for money. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. And everyone also is kind of trying to kill her within the game. Within, within and apparently it's, this is like, it should be noted. Like this is not the game yet. I mean, I know it is ultimately, but like, this is not the game. Like he yeah. doesn't have a port at this point. This is just them so on the run. Yes. We are not, we, she, she is, there's been assass- an assassination attempt on her life. Yeah. He doesn't have a port. We are not in the game yet. Like this is, we are supposed to believe at this point that, that they are actually going to be killed. Yes. Like I it agree. might be a game or it might just be the future. Or it might just be an alternate reality where there are two headed animals, but it is not the game yet. Right. At least, you know, we Correct. have, we have, we have him included into that. Correct. Uh, he gets uh, – so then we have the Ian home of it all where he's sort of a friendly – a guy that she goes way back with that Allegra knows who can fix her game pod. Kind of like an Ian Holm character. Kind of like an Ian Holm character. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, uh, and basically uh, Ian Holm fixes her game pod, fixes Ted's um, bioport because it was – faulty bioport of some sort. And then there's something that honestly like almost made me, I don't know. It made me really, it was gross when she licks her finger and sticks it inside Ted's bioport. I just, I don't know. There's something about like, it's the only time you're ever going to see anal fingering in a non NC 17 (laughs) movie in your life. (laughs) Uh, How do you feel about that? Barry? You know what? I liked it. I mean, I, I feel like, I don't, I, you know, this is not a, this is not a prudish movie. Well played. Well played. Uh, so, well, you know, it, it, it's, uh, I, you know, he puts everything on, he, you know, he's not a shy person. No. He, he says, this is what this is going to be about. Get on the wavelength or get off. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's fair. He really is just doesn't give a shit. It's a, it, it, it's true. You're right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So uh, at this point, Ted and Allegra actually go into existence at this point. Once we are now physically inside the game, their aesthetics change. Ted's hair is a little cooler. Yeah. Uh, Allegra's hair is wavier and curlier. Uh, they're immediately almost into each other, it seems to. 
Like they're basically trying to fuck each other from the second they get into the game. Seems like part of the game. Right. So the game is forcing them together. Uh, there are lines they have to read to exactly. move the game forward. Exactly. Uh, and then they get these little mini game pods, which slide inside their spinal column, which is really gross, but also kind of a clever way so they don't have to carry the biopods around with them. Mm-hmm. So now we're sort of like in a game within a game within a game. We're kind of at a third layer. We know by the end it's a third yeah. layer. Yeah. Okay. Uh, they jump each other. Don McKellar shows up speaking in some weird language that we don't really understand and tells them to go to the Chinese food restaurant and to order the special. Then we get our, our great scene at the Chinese food restaurant where he built a gun out of mutated fish bones and takes out his teeth and turns them into bullets and kills the, the waiter. You know, that old chestnut. And then uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Ted kind of freaks and screams that he wants to pause the game. Mm-hmm. So he pauses the game. We cut back out to the motel room. And now we sort of got this moment where Ted is freaking out because he doesn't understand what's real and what's not. And it's all it's all kind of blurring and bleeding into itself and folding in on itself. And Allegra basically says, like, you know, stop tripping. It's fine. Like, it's a game. It's all going to be fine. And mm-hmm. chill out. And coils her toes around the umbilical cord that he has coming out of his back, which I also found a very unsettling image. Uh, I don't I, – I, I got to hand it to Cronenberg. He just – understands how to get under our skin. Totally. You know? And I, I mean that literally and figuratively. Like, I think he just understands what upsets us about our bodies. Yeah, that's a really good point. So. Uh, and there's a reason more people don't make movies like – there's a reason there are 100,000 slasher movies and about six body horror movies because this is the stuff that really scares you. The, uh, truly, yeah. I, I'm, I'm not so scared of a serial killer. That's not a real thing. Yeah. Um. I mean, it's real, but it's not really. But gonna, our bodies, it's not really going to get me. Yeah. My, I'm ultimately going to be killed by cancer, probably. So, um, <laughs> cancer, or heart disease, or, or something right. that I do to myself. Right. And it is very scary to, to kind of confront that. Yeah. I mean, I I don't know how you feel about it, Barry, but I feel like the the sort of Cronenberg's exploration of vessel that is the human body which he has sort of explored through his whole filmography. I think, I think he's, I don't know. I think he's doing something in this film that maybe he hasn't done before, or at least since Videodrome of just the fly or the fly, you know, a real kind of deep dive into what is scary and gross about our bodies. Yeah. This, I mean, this is his, you know, latest chapter in our bodies ourselves. Um, (laughs) And yeah, He's just so fascinated, and I think it's an infectious fascination, to probably borrow one of his favorite words, um, of just, you know, how deep inside ourselves we can get um, and how much uh, we want to reveal about ourselves and how much we kind of block a lot about a lot of, you know, who we are and like the gunk we're made out of, out of our daily lives. Like we just don't, we don't want to think about how we're just like walking pieces of gristle and meat. And that is something that he just cannot stop thinking about. You're, you're, you're totally right. I'd say almost every movie is about the brain. Yep. His movies are about everything else. And that's gross. <laughs> 
Um, then there's a shot of a guy buying a video game called Hit by a Car, which I think is a pretty obvious allusion to Crash <laughs> the year before or a couple years earlier. Uh, Allegra then ports into a diseased game pod, uh, and Ted has to cut her free, so he cuts the umbilical cord, and there's like blood everywhere. And I've got two umbilical cords. I have three kids. Chicken out with one. Um, oh, you cut them? Of course. Which one did you did you? I I wasn't planning on cutting any. Okay. Right? Who didn't get cut? Uh, Layla, the first one. Interesting. Oh, so, so okay. I I wasn't planning on cutting any. Uh huh. I have twins, Barry, and uh, <laughs> and my daughter came out first, and I I was just not going to cut it, and someone cut it for me, and it, it it within the minute that they were separated, it was kind of like sack up and cut an umbilical cord. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, do you, you have kids, right, Barry? I have one kid. Did yeah. you cut the umbilical cord? I did. I have no idea where it is. It's gone. Oh, you forever. kept it? No, I didn't keep it. Oh. No, no, no. but you cut no. it. I cut it. I cut yeah, it. Yeah, so you a so little you... reluctantly. I was I was uh, going into it. I had conversations, and I I was reluctant, but when I did it, it was fine. I didn't exp- I didn't plan on doing it because it does seem like. It, it wasn't so much gross. It just kind of seemed like, why? Yeah. It's a I lot. Was like, well, yeah. There's trained professionals in the room. <laughs> right. <laughs> but they were almost insistent in between, like, give it a shot. Give it a shot. Yeah. It's like, so, it, it felt like the anesthesiologist was like, come on, just give it a shot. Just put, you know. You got goaded into it? You both yeah. got goaded into do you, this. Do you, do, you, do you want to describe what it feels like or do you want me to describe what it feels like? It was much softer than I thought it would be. Uh, like, I thought it would be like cutting rubber, uh, rubber tube or yeah. something. And it was almost like, for me, it was like almost like, I don't know, paper mache or something. Oh, mine was not like paper mache. Maybe we have different well, kind of different, maybe different, different models. species. Well, you know, mine it's different was, up in Canada. So. My, <laughs> <laughs> it's a little colder. My kids' umbilical cords actually, to me, felt like cutting a, like a garden hose. No, like a, no, not like a garden hose. Like, a, like kind of a, like a sinewy cut of meat. Uh, you know, like a little, like a little chewier than you'd expect. Rob wants out of this And it episode. wasn't, it wasn't, but, but also like, did yours start bleeding? No. no. What uh, is going on here? Ours bled. But so, all of them? Oh, the two of them. Yeah. It's not like it like gushed blood, but right. blood well, comes I would out. Su- I would assume there's got to be some Gus residue, blood, right? It's, it's, it's. It didn't. It wasn't what I expected. It actually reminds me of this movie in that way. It's like this really weird thing you've always known about, you've always thought about. I always thought it would be like the easiest thing to yeah. cut, it, and but no. It's me. It was like this, like like sinewy, like like fleshy, muscular. Okay. All right. Wow. Um, okay. Cool. Yeah, I know. Cool. I would advise dads to do it. All right. To know what it's well, like. It maybe is, it maybe is someday this, I'll get to. It do is that. like this weird Sounds little bond. Great. It's this weird little bonding thing that you do right away for your kid. But so uh, Ted cuts Allegra's umbilical cord from her pod. She starts bleeding all over the place. It looks harder to cut his than it sounds the ones that you guys had to cut. It cuts. It's easy. Um, and Don McKellar then sets the disease game pod on fire, and spores start to explode explode out of it. And this is kind of the moment when the when the game becomes. Kind of insane. Like, it really goes kind of for broke at this point. You know, you've got militia show up and fires everywhere and backstabbing and double crosses. And now you're really, really starting to feel like you're in a game. And I think that depending on where you land on that, Barry, I wonder whether or not (laughs) it works or not. Like, I think that it works in hindsight if you know the ending – 
But I don't know how it played for you, Kenny, when that turn comes and it just kind of, it becomes a little silly. I thought it was a little silly. Okay. I kind of felt that a little bit too. I, I, I thought, consider, considering how inspired the Chinese restaurant stuff was yeah. and the Trap Factory yeah. stuff and all this like really unusual weird shit, yeah. it felt very um, obvious. Right, and so, easy, a little easy. Yeah, I, yeah. I did like the fact that, so Allegra basically double crosses everybody and she puts a, a I guess you'd, a, an explosive inside Ted's bioport and blows his spine off. Tough break. And, 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 <laughs> Happens to the best of us. <laughs> and she wins the game. And we sort of cut out and we realize that we've been with, in a game the whole time. It's kind of funny how she won, the, like how she reacted. She like, yeah, she's like, I she won. Threw her hands <laughs> up. I'm the winner. Like she won fucking Monopoly. <laughs> yeah. It was kind you of know? great. Yeah. It, no, it was great. Yeah. So we cut out and now we're, uh, you know, in a church and we're actually testing a different game called Transcendence. 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 Uh, and of course, Sarah Pauly is the one who is <laughs> doing the yeah. – uh, um, the group, uh, the group test or whatever. Uh, and we realized that Don McKellar is actually the real video game creator and that Ted and Allegra are just contest. Uh, they're testers. They're players. They're testers. They're players, yeah. Uh, Along with most with, people with their entire cast. Movie, yes. Right. And you've got like Chris Eccleston being like, it sucks that I was taken out so early. I'm, I got bored and like Ian <laughs> home saying, I didn't understand my accent. So, like, they're all sort of – our whole cast of characters is now revealed to be real people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Jude Law and Jennifer Chase and Lee are revealed to be a real-life couple. A real-life couple uh, with a dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, Who don't seem to ha- necessarily have the same power imbalance that they had in the game. No, they seem very on, this, on, on the, the level. Sa- yes, yeah. on the same level. Whereas yeah. within the context of the game, she is clearly high status and he's low status, which yeah. is interesting in, in its own right. It yeah. is. Uh, and then they get their dog, which was waiting for them. And I, I bring up the dog because within the film, there are several moments where this gun is brought to someone by a dog. My dog brought me the gun. I got the, dun- the gun from the dog. So I think there's two or three instances of that. So then and the dog uh, eats the tooth gun in the Chinese restaurant. Yes, exactly. So there's, there's like three, three or so instances which tease up the fact that at the end of the movie – Ted and Allegra go up to uh, Don McKellar and Sarah Pauly, and basically we realize, oh, they're assassins that are there to kill. If is it if Genny something or other was his name? The, yeah, Evgeny. I don't. know. Evgeny, the something. actual creator. Yeah, the creator the actual. Of transcends. Yes, exactly. Transcendence. Yeah. Uh, and they tear this fake fur off their dog. They pull out real guns, not guns made of bone. Uh, they kill Don McKellar and they kill Sarah Pauly. And then they turn to kill the guy who plays the Chinese uh, restaurant waiter. And he says, wait a sec, wait a second. Are we still in the game? And that's how the movie ends. Now, I went online and there are a lot of people that want to believe that we're still in a game. We might still be in a game. What are your thoughts on this, Barry? Do you think we're still in a game? Do you think that this is how it, you know, this is reality at the end? I think that, I think it is reality at the end. I think that's kind of just, you know, Cronenberg or maybe his producers more likely <laughs> With uh, a wink. just kind of trying to throw a little bit of an extra twist of the knife. Right. Um, 
and you know, it's, it's the, uh, you know, and, and everybody's kind of done it since then, you know, it's inception basically took that to a, mm-hmm. a different kind of level, a glossier level, um, of not knowing when the levels were done. Right. Um, but I think in, in terms of what Cronenberg is trying to say, I think we're out of the game at that point. Just not to get off this topic. Do you think Inception – Phil, I remember years ago you and I had a, an argument on the end of Inception, whether it was still a dream or not. Uh-huh. Did, what, what's your opinion on that? I forgot. I don't think it's a dream. I think he got out. Yeah, so do I. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's clear in that movie. I think it is too. I think in this He's movie – He's achieved his mission. Yes. I think in this movie it is necessarily unclear. I, I, yeah. I, you know, I, I, I don't think there's any way – I don't think there's any hints. I don't think there's any right. way to know – whether we're still in the game or not, I think that's kind of the point. Well, I, I was literally just going to say, I remember when Inception came out and Chris Nolan was asked by a million people, blah, blah, blah. And his response was, it doesn't matter. Like, if he did get out, <clears throat> great. If he didn't get out, he's achieved his mission in his mind anyway. So he's found some sort of peace no matter what. So this, to me, feels in a similar way of like, if we're in the game or we're not in the game, he's still made his statement Right. They, yeah. They, there's a, like, yeah. yeah this, the, the, the ending has like Cronenberg has t- taken you through exactly what he wanted to discuss, like yeah. the ideas he wanted to explore. Yeah. Um, and that I feel is is just like kind of like a little almost cheap and like yeah. I was a little, to be. Yeah. It's kind of like the one nod he gives to like mainstream, yep. you know, Hollywood cinema. A little wink, like the end question mark. Yeah, I know. Um, I I, I kind of didn't love the last line. I felt oh. there was a way to do it. Like I, I respect Nolan for not. You know, I mean, like the totem's a great way to do it. You don't need to. Mm-hmm. You don't need to have the last line. It doesn't take away from the idea of it, which I think matters. Yeah. Um, but I also, you know, I, I, I think like more interestingly, yeah, is the idea of simulation theory and the the validity of the reality that we're living. Yeah. Um, and the point being, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Because. If we're in a simulation right now, we which we could be, which Elon Musk would argue we are, we almost have to you be. You mean Grimes' boyfriend? Grimes' boyfriend. <laughs> is that this week? Yeah. Where Grimes' boyfriend would argue that we are in a uh, – I think we just dated this podcast. Because <laughs> yeah, um, there will not be a couple tomorrow. I think uh, I think, I think the, the whole point about simulation theory, kind of the, the, the greater point is it doesn't matter. Yeah. We're living a valid reality right now. It's just as valid as any other reality. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really doesn't matter. Yeah. What matters is it seems like they had free will Yeah. and they chose to kill somebody outside of the context of the, of existence. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of that dangerous slippery slope thing. So for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm actually very curious to hear where you land on this one, uh, on our zero to 99, Kenny. Um, you're not going to be happy. Uh, oh, <laughs> Jesus. Well, so Mary, just to give you a, we've we've altered our our or we've added to our zero to ninety nine. So just to to f- fill you in on this ranking that we do at the end of the episode, mm-hmm. uh, we rank every film from zero to ninety nine. Uh, what we thought of it in ninety nine, if we saw it, Kenny did not, so he will not be able to do that. But you and I, I think, will be able to, uh, and then rank the film before we recorded this podcast, and then after if it has changed. Like if this podcast has altered your opinion on this film, which I 
be surprised if we've altered it in any real way. Um, I, I don't think we've convinced Kenny of its greatness either, unfortunately. But no, um, no you just yeah, well, I'm excited. I'm excited. So I'll go first. I'm going to say that in '99, I saw this in the theater. I thought it was great. I really liked it. Um, it was definitely a Cronenberg film that I could connect with. Uh, so I'd say I probably gave it about a, I'd say I gave it a 75 back in 99. Um, rewatching it, it actually was a richer experience for me now than it was in 99. And I think that, that being able to look at the technology of this film or what it's making a statement about, even to what you were talking about earlier in terms of sort of Gamergate and all that kind of stuff, like this film feels a lot more, uh, prescient and resonant now yeah. than it did back then. So I would say I'd give it an 82. Um, and uh, and that uh, before and after this podcast, I stand by my 82%. Cool. Do you want me to go? Yeah. Um, I'm going to do something for the first time on this podcast. Never done, never done this before. Jesus. I'm, I, it's going to sound like I'm not taking a stand, but I am taking a stand. Whoa. <laughs> I'm taking a stand. The stand is I'm giving this a 50. Oh, wow. Um, I'm giving it a 50 because there's so much to like. There's almost there's also so much I didn't like. The good was so good. The bad was so uh, unappealing to me. <laughs> and um, we use 50 as a, as a recommend or not recommend mark. I can't – I wouldn't recommend it to people, but I would also never tell someone not to watch it if they were inclined to watch it. There's a lot to – there's a lot to – Chew on in this movie, so to speak. Um, it's a fifty. I don't know what else to say. All right. I mean, but listen. I, I can. I can. I can I handle it. I certainly didn't. I certainly didn't hate it. I, and I'm not not thinking about it. But uh, it turned my stomach in in, in ways that um, that just did that just didn't work for me. So uh, that's it. That's my that's my number. All right, Barry. Let's let's hear it. You know, when I first saw it. It, it really struck a chord with me. Again, I think I was kind of in that, you know, very young white suburban man phase where I was like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. Um, but even going back, so I would say at that time, it, I would say like 85 for me. Okay, okay. And now having revisited it and having discussed it and also having talked, you know, something we didn't quite hit on, but I just wanted to briefly mention, like, I don't think this movie – would get made today. Oh, yeah. It certainly wouldn't get a theatrical release today. Yeah. Um, I can't see any outfit touching it. And, it, you know, it, was, it got a big push here in Canada from Alliance Atlantis, which no longer exists. Yeah. Um, and I don't think there's another Canadian studio or production company that could really handle it, nor one in the States. You know, we'd be lucky if this got a Netflix thing, and that would be... In, yeah. its, in and of itself, pretty remarkable. So I'm going to give it an extra four point boost just based on the fact, the that, fact it exists. that we, can, we will never see this again. Based on its existence. Based on its exactly. Uh, so I'm going to settle on an 89. Nice guys, these are great ratings. <laughs> I think. Um, I mean, I, I'm not. I I understand where you're coming from, and this. I'm not trying to sound patronizing. I really do get that. It's like watching it the other day. I was like. You gotta you gotta ride with this film or you don't, and I and I I understand that that it's it's not everybody's cup of tea. I think that's kind of what it comes down to. There are some movies that really do come down to taste, yeah, um, and it's just not in my wheelhouse. 
Yeah, that's kind of what it is. Um, but, though I do respect it, and I respect what they were, what he was going for, and what he what he accomplished. I think is kind of the the, the better way to put it. I fully, fully agree. I, I mean, I think it's an interesting movie. I'm I'm thrilled that this movie exists. I really do. You want to talk about next week? Yeah, um, we are doing Boys Don't Cry um, with. Uh, yeah, we've got we've got a very interesting trans actor who's coming on who we're very excited to to talk with about it. Scott Turner Schofield is coming on. And uh he's, he's high ranking at Glad. He is, he is. And he's and, he's a phenomenally interesting person who I think is gonna bring a lot of insight and complexity to an already complex and insightful film. Um it's uh what are your thoughts on Boys Don't Cry, Barry? I you know I haven't seen it probably since like yeah early aughts. Sure, um, not to put you it, on the spot. One of the trickiest movies to discuss in 1999. <laughs> but go ahead, just give us your unfiltered no, no, opinion. Let's go from the teeth gun to uh, <laughs> a, a terribly tragic real life case. Um, I mean, it's I think it's I think it's easily you know the best work Hillary Swank's done. Um, yeah. Chloe Sevigny, I remember, you know, was was fantastic in it. Um, I remember at the time, and again, I haven't watched it in easily, you know, a decade plus. The maybe it was a budgetary issue, but it, it felt at times too made for TV ish. I suppose is maybe a polite way of putting it, or maybe it felt like it could have just been a very well polished HBO film. Um, yeah, it, it, I, I, I. I I will say, and you know, we were gonna we will obviously get into this in more depth uh, next week. But I I do think that um, a lot of it has aged well, and a lot of it has not aged well. I think that there's just stuff that we have moved past, thankfully, or 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 are moving past in some way or another. So the film does feel a little bit dated at times. Um, but I was. It's it's a powerful, powerful movie. Yeah, I don't want to give too much away yeah. about how we thought uh, yeah. of this movie, but um, it's you know I think the one thing Phil and I both kind of agreed on is how difficult a, wa- a rewatch this is and was. Yeah, um, probably the hardest movie to rewatch, and uh, and to, I mean, I, and just also to. You know, Kenny and I sort of talked about how, like, for 99, it feels like the hardest movie. You know what I mean? Like, there's, listen, there's lots of movies that, dealed with, that dealt with big issues in 99. I mean, second hardest. We just did the hardest. But go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but I, do you know what I'm getting at? Like, it's, it, it, it's the movie that is probably the hardest rewatch. You know, yeah. I would yeah. I would say that you know we'll have the the audition uh, episode, which I look forward to different doing. Different kind at some of point. hard, yeah. <laughs> different type of upsetting, but um, yeah, this movie is just a a a pretty crushing, brutal movie to watch. Uh, but that being said, uh, we're very excited to do this episode. I think it's I really, I mean, it's you know, it's it, going to be a it's going to be a really really good. It episode. was truly it was truly the movie I was most nervous about doing. Yeah. And since we've met Scott, it's one of the things I'm most excited for. So I can't wait Couldn't for us more. to to do this podcast and put it out there next week. But Barry, thank you so much for for coming on coming man. on talking Canadian cinema, oh, talking this awesome, unusual, <laughs> terrible movie. 
No, uh, it's my pleasure. Uh, I'm going to go to a Chinese restaurant right now. Oh, God. <laughs> um, but we would love to have you back on, Barry. So, you know, we'll, we'll do this again uh, in a little bit. We'll, we'll talk some other movies. We've got Dudley Do-Right coming on. It's all yours. <laughs> okay, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's not true. We we gotta, I know. We already gave Dudley Do-Right to a Brendan Fraser expert. <laughs> but we definitely want to have you back on, uh, maybe for something that we all haven't seen. That might be also a fun thing oh, to, yeah. to do something that's uh, that could be fun on that level. But either way, um, thank you so much for coming on. Barry, um, what's your uh, Twitter handle? Uh, it's uh, at HertzBarry, H-E-R-T-Z-B-A-R-R-Y. Awesome. So Barry's on Twitter. Uh, I am too at PM Iscove. Uh, I'm also on Instagram. Kenny's at, at Nybard. Uh, we have a, uh, finally have a Twitter feed for the show, which is podcast like 1999. So please follow that and uh, rate, rate review, review subscribe. subscribe. Tell all your friends and everything. Thank you so much for coming, Barry. Thanks, Barry. We'll see you next Thanks week. Thanks for having me. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.